Well, this uh, service is the first Sunday after the election, and I imagine that some of us are very happy with the results, that the candidate we were hoping for at some particular office, uh, maybe president or senator or whatever, whatever, maybe uh, one of the ballot measures, we're happy with the result, and some of us are probably disappointed with the result. We had hoped for something else. Maybe we had even worked for something else. Um, so there's going to be um, some people I know in this congregation who are who are happy with the results, some some who are disappointed. And that's kind of the nature of of our lives, is there's things that make us happy and there's things that make us disappointed. Uh, probably uh, there are more uh, disappointments this year than in some years that, that uh, some of us have uh, suffered uh, in different ways this year. Some of us have suffered loss, uh, a loss of a, of a loved one or a loss of um, our financial situation is not as is not as secure as it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, we, we might uh, be suffering some other kind of way, but but we may have disappointments. We may have suffered some kind of a loss. That this is the the nature of uh, our lives is that there's good and bad. Uh, Charles Dickens said about the uh, French Revolution that it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And and maybe this isn't the very best and the very worst, but but like that we have a mix. There's there's a mix of things, and what Christians believe is that the day will come, an age is coming in which there won't be the 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 bad part. That that the mix will be over. It will all be exclusively good things because all of the sources of sorrow and loss and disappointment, all of those things that that make our lives these uneven mixes will be gone. And more than that, Christians believe that we will be a part of that age that is coming. And we, we can, we can believe that even though we don't know when it will come. Uh, Jesus said it could happen today, but it's been 2000 years. It could be 2000 more years. We don't know when it will happen, but we believe that we will be part of it. And the reason for that is that we believe that those who have died will be raised. Uh, Paul says in the first letter to the Thessalonians, he says that that uh, when Christ returns to bring about that new age, to, to inaugurate fully that, that age that is coming, that the dead in Christ will rise. And so, so there will be uh, people, even if, if we have already died, we will be uh, raised back to life for that new age. And because of that, because so many people have already died over the last 2,000 years, and, and maybe more will die in the meantime, depending on when this happens, because, because people um, will be raised from the dead, uh, another name for the age to come is the resurrection. We talk about uh, the, the age, it kind of gets its name from the fact that so many people will be raised to be part of it. And probably by comparison, a smaller number of people will actually be alive when Jesus returns. So we are going to begin a conversation looking at the resurrection, the age to come. We're going to be looking at that and uh, discussing at least some of the most important um, aspects of it. It's such a big topic, it would take a, a long time to really plumb its depths in any in any real way, but we're going to at least touch on some of the most important aspects over the por- course of this conversation. So we're going to be doing that. And uh, today we're going to be looking kind of just to set the table or to get, get us started. We're going to be looking at the, the reaction that that idea, the idea of the resurrection, the idea of, a, of an age to come without any sources of trouble, the 
what reaction that produces. Because for a lot of people, it's like, great, that sounds wonderful. I'm looking forward to that. But some people say, well, yes, it sounds wonderful, but so do unicorns. The problem is that they don't exist. And so people may may hear about the age to come and say, well, yeah, but I don't believe it. This this is all there is. The world is is what it is, and it is a mix. There's good and bad, but we should just try to find the good things and, and not have... Uh, you know, avoid as much bad as we can because this is all you get. And at the end of your life, you die and that's the end of that. And if you've ever wondered that or you know people have wondered that, it's actually a very good question. Um, and, and there were, there was a, there was a group of people in the first century who asked the exact same question. They said, they said, um, it's a great idea. It just isn't true. And the interesting thing is that they were not, they were not atheists. They were, they were um, some of the people of God, and they had a particular perspective uh, that made them hostile to the idea of the resurrection. But it wasn't because they didn't believe in God. They did believe in God, and they believed that God had spoken in, in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and they, they said uh, that we don't see any sign in the scriptures of the resurrection, that it was a later add-on. And I know some people criticize the, the church today, they criticize Christians, and they say that's the same thing, that, that our belief in the resurrection is founded by some kind of a later add-on, that it's not in the, the Bible it was originally uh, presented to us. So, so this is not a new argument, it's actually a very old argument. And today we're going to look at a place where we see that conversation playing out. This, this group, it was called the Sadducees, and the reason they didn't believe, uh, that the, the resurrection, this, this age to come, was in the Bible is because they had a very high view of scripture. They said, they said, you can't just open up the scriptures and let anybody who comes along add to them. So they said, uh, that there were five books of the law that were given to, uh, the people of God by Moses, that God, uh, gave them to Moses, and he came down from the mountain and that those were the scriptures and everything else didn't count as scripture. So, so this is a Hebrew Bible. And, uh, what they said is we, we affirm that God gave us the scriptures. But when they said scriptures, they meant this portion, the first five books of the, the Hebrew scriptures. That's, that's what they said the scriptures were. The rest of, the rest of what we would today say are the Hebrew scriptures. They said th- those are interesting. Some of them are interesting. Uh, some of them are less interesting. But the 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 prophets and the the psalms and so forth, they don't have the authority that the first five books do. So this was this was the the discussion that was going on in the first century. There was a number of groups of of people uh, who uh, would eventually. Uh, uh, those discussions would eventually lead to what is modern day Judaism. You couldn't call it Judaism today the way we understand it, but, but these different groups were all articulating their positions to kind of, uh, move in the direction that would eventually become Judaism. And one of these groups, the, this, this group called the Sadducees, they said, all those other writings, they don't count. So, so that was their perspective. And in our reading today, we're going to see them having this conversation. One of, countless thousands of conversations where they said, this is our belief, and uh, other people like Jesus and like uh, uh, other Jewish groups said, no, this is our perspective. So, so we're going to, we're going to see one of those actual discussions taking place in our, in our reading today. So we, we, um, we'll pick this up in, in, uh, 
uh, chapter 20 of Luke's biography. There's there's four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading Luke, and we have been for the last several weeks. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 20 in verse 27. So we read, some Sadducees who deny that there's a resurrection came to Jesus. So that's the Sadducees, and we've discussed why it is that they didn't believe that there was a resurrection. Uh, and they say, teacher... Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow, but no children, the brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. So they point to, they point to a passage in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, these first five books, and they say, in the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, there's a passage that tells us what to, what to do in the event that a woman is widowed without any children. And the answer, uh, what the law, what the law prescribes is that the, the, the man's brother should marry her in order to have children. And the reason for that was because in, in that culture, Marriage uh, provided a lot of uh, features that, that we don't need it to, to provide today. Uh, there was no social safety net or, or the next best thing to no social safety net. So the way a widow would be provided for in her old age is by her children. And if her husband died, leaving her a widow, and she had no children, then she was in real trouble. And so this provision in the law was so that somebody could could uh, give her children and so the the brother the the next brother in line uh had that responsibility so so uh they 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 quote this passage from the law and they say they say in this hypothetical they they present Jesus a hypothetical they say now there were seven brothers the first man married a woman and died childless the second and then the third brother married her eventually all seven married her and they all died without leaving any children finally the woman died too in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? All seven were married to her. So they present this, this thorny problem and they say, how could this ever be untangled? If the resurrection existed, if there was such a thing as the resurrection, it would be filled with these sorts of problems. And so it doesn't even make any sense. Why would Moses give us a law that would lead to all these problems? And Jesus might have responded because those are, those are future problems and Trust me, there's there's no problem in the future that God can't solve. But this is a real problem. The widow needs somebody to support her in her old age. So Jesus could have answered that. But instead, he, he points out uh, the flaw in the argument. He says, um, People who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to participate in that age, that is, in the age of the resurrection from the dead, won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. So he says, you're, you're making a, a, a mistake to assume that the, the age to come is like this age. And, and we're not talking about simply uh, being raised uh, back to life and then having the same kind of problems that we have in this world. He says the, the, the whole point, the, the thing that makes the age to come so much of a promise is that those sorts of problems won't be part of the age to come. So... So Jesus says um, that that uh, you won't have these problems. He says the, they, the people in the in the resurrection, they can no longer die because they're like angels and are God's children because they share in the resurrection. So he says they're like angels because angels uh, don't die. Angels uh, have eternal life and they 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 will live forever. They they don't their bodies don't wear out. We don't know much about angels, but Jesus is saying that among other things, they are 
uh, uh, eternal. So, so Jesus says that the people in the resurrection will be like that. Our bodies won't wear out. Uh, we won't, you know, get tooth decay or whatever else we have, you know, whatever problems we have in this life. They won't be a part of the age to come. But he says more than that, they are God's children. See, angels, the, the word angel literally means a messenger. And Jesus says that the people in the, people in the age to come will have a different relationship with God. They won't simply be messengers. They will actually be children of God. That that's, that's the nature of the relationship. So they have all the advantages of angels and then some as children of God. So Jesus answers their question by saying, you're misunderstanding. The whole point of the resurrection is not that we just live forever. It's that we live as part of an age in which the problems of this age are no longer uh, present. So that's the first part of his answer. He answers their direct question, but Jesus uh, understands where they're coming from. And so he answers the question behind the question. He says, now, about the resurrection, you're, you're suggesting that this this means there could be no resurrection. So he says about the resurrection, even Jesus, I mean, even Moses, even Moses, this is verse 37, even Moses demonstrated that the dead are raised in the passage about the burning bush when he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. To him, they are all alive. So Jesus uh, says that, Still, in, in the first five books, since, since that's all you look at, um, that there is, there is a passage where God speaks to, to, uh, to Moses, and he says, I'm the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so they lived 400 years ago, and in fact, in, in this first five books, it describes, uh, how they died. So they've been gone a long time, and God says, I am still their God. He says, I am the, the God of your ancestors. Uh, some of you may, may be aware that the, the word, the, the, the name that, that God gives Moses in this passage about the burning bush is he says he is, his name is I am, uh, that he is, he is the, the God who is. And, uh, that is the, 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 the name that God reveals to Moses there at the burning bush. And you may have even looked and saw that there's a footnote there that says, says, that it can also be translated, I will be what I will be. And the reason for that is that the, the Hebrew language doesn't have all the, the grammatical tenses that ours does. It has, it has a past tense, which means that thing has now happened. And it has a, a, a different tense called the imperfect tense, and it means that thing is not done yet. So it could mean it's happening right now, or it could mean it's going to happen long in the future. And so Jesus is saying, God is not done being God for Abraham and Isaac and Moses, uh, and um, uh, Jacob, or, or for that matter, Moses, who at this point, by the time Jesus is on the scene, Moses has, has long died too. So Moses, Jesus is saying that, that right there in the text, even in the name of God, it says that God is the, the God of these, these patriarchs, that, uh, that he is still their God. And, um, and because I speak English and because I'm used to uh, uh, verb tenses working differently in our language, I kind of think Jesus is, is straining a little bit. And, and my guess is that Jesus would agree that, that it's true. Um, and, and for that matter, we know that this kind of argument was persuasive because uh, this, this viewpoint, the Sadducees' viewpoint, 
uh, is not a part of modern day Judaism. That in those conversations, uh, that this viewpoint won out. So, so people who were familiar with it, but were not Christians, said, no, actually we think that this is, this is, um, this is uh, accurate, and that's why modern Jewish Bibles have all of the Hebrew Scriptures in them, because there is so much clearer understanding of the um, of the resurrection in other passages. But they were persuaded that that uh, that the resurrection is a reality, and so they they were persuaded even by arguments like that with the Sadducees. And the Sadducee perspective died out. So. So, uh, we would say, we would say, this is not the best passage. It doesn't, it doesn't explain the resurrection as clearly as other passages like the prophets and, and the Psalms, but it does point to the resurrection in a way that was convincing to people in the first century as they, as they, uh, evolved into what would become modern day Judaism. So, so it was persuasive then. And, uh, so, so modern Jews, uh, believe in in the resurrection. This is not an issue anymore for, for Jews. It's not an issue for Christians either, but we have a different reason. We believe in the resurrection not because it's in our book, but because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus went first. Jesus demonstrated that there would be a resurrection by actually doing it. And then uh, the the books in the in the uh, New Testament are attempts to explain the significance of that, that that the biographies of Jesus and the letters of Paul and so forth, all the other books in the New Testament are attempts to explain what has just happened, how God had already begun bringing into existence this, this age to come by raising Jesus from the dead. So this is what Christians believe. We don't believe because the books or because the, the grammatical arguments were very persuasive. We We accept that. But the reason we believe in the resurrection is because Jesus has already demonstrated it. So that's why we have the New Testament, and it's why we affirm the entire Hebrew Scriptures. So, do we have questions? Absolutely, we've got questions. I think today a lot of us have questions. Well, what is the what is going on there with um, with marriage? Help me understand what marriage looks like in the age to come. What does singleness look like in the age to come? I think people have reasonable questions about that, and we have questions about well, well. Has has the resurrection happened? I mean, is is Moses, or is Moses or Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are they already raised the way Jesus is raised? What's their status? And we have questions like that, and and even the New Testament documents aren't enough to help us uh, pick all that apart uh, because because it's um, because because there are mysteries. We we affirm the resurrection without claiming to understand all of the resurrection. So so there's some passages that that make it seem as if Jesus um, uh, says that uh, people are already uh, uh, raised, and other passages make it seem like uh, they are resting until his return. And I don't know why that is. Um, someday we will all find out. But in the meantime, uh, it could be that there simply is no language for it. That that nobody has ever experienced a resurrection except Jesus, and so there's there's no way that it could be described to us except with metaphors, and all, all metaphors eventually break. They they are all strained, and and they eventually break. So it could be that there's just no good way to explain it to us. So uh, for whatever reason, we we don't know all the answers, but we know some, and we're going to look at some of those next week. We're going to look at some of the the pictures we get of the resurrection um, next week, but. Uh, today we just we just affirm that there is a resurrection, not because of what's in the book, but because of what Jesus did. The book documents 
the early church's attempts to understand what it was that Jesus had done. What, what did God do by raising Jesus from the dead? So that's where our belief comes from. So the question for us then is this. What difference does this make? What difference does the resurrection make in our lives? If there is a resurrection, if there is a coming age in which all the sources of pain and sorrow, all the loss we experience, all the disappointments we experience, all those things, the things that cause those problems for us, will not be present. What difference does that make to us now? Is it something we just have to, to gut it out and wait for? Or does it make a difference in our life now? Are we essentially living like Sadducees who say that, well, you know, there's only this life and you just do the best you can and then you die? Are we living as if that was the case? Because the resurrection should, uh, should challenge us to say, uh, what, what responsibilities are we more willing to take on? You know, think about the story of the, the, the brothers and, and this widow. Think about them. You know, in that age, who would want an extra mouth to feed? Who would want this widow to be, you know, at home? You know, think of the complications domestically. What, what sort of problems that would create domestically? Think about, you know, you're, you're a, a subsistence farmer or something and you have to deal with this extra person you've got to feed, her children. You know, who would want that responsibility? It is the hope of the resurrection that makes those kind of responsibilities possible to bear because we know that this is not our only life. We don't have to just live for today because we know that a, a better day is coming. So what, what would that look like in your life? How would that change your relationship with your children? How would it change your relationship with your grandchildren if you knew you could take on responsibilities differently because you don't have to pack in all your fun right now? So so how, how would that affect you? How would it affect your responsibilities? How would it affect your risk-taking? Because life isn't all responsibilities. Sometimes... We say we've got responsibilities, but what we're really doing is we're dodging, we're dodging something that we know we should try, that, that we're called to be more than we are. We're called to, to do more and to risk more. The Apostle Paul says that, that, um, it was for freedom that God set us free, that God wants us to not be worried about, about, um, our, our future, that, that He's got that taken care of. So God gave us freedom so that we could be the people right now that He made us to be. In the letter to the Romans, Paul says that if God has already given us his son, is there anything else good that he won't give us? Of course he'll give us whatever we need to be the people he made us to be. So so the question for us is, in light of the resurrection, in light of this coming age, how would that change the way we, we approach risks? How would it change the way we approach our responsibilities? Because if all we're doing is living like a Sadducee, living like this life is all there is, then we're missing the most important part of the resurrection. So how is your life different? How is this year going to be different? How is November going to be different because of the resurrection? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for teaching us about the resurrection, um, teaching us that it is not simply a wishful thinking, um, or uh, words in an ancient book, but it is the reality that Jesus has already been raised and that the words in the books are your people struggling to understand and to ask questions and to to wrestle with the reality that a an age is coming in which 
all of the sources of, of heartache will be absent. Lord, help us to live in the light of this resurrection. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.